couple years ago, my wife and I had an opportunity that was truly remarkable, unlike anything else. We had the opportunity to go to New York. It was for a work conference, but we took a little bit of extra time, and we snuck away from the conference, and we went to Broadway, and we saw a musical we had been longing to see for a long time, Hamilton. Have you ever heard of that musical? If you're not familiar with Hamilton, it's a creative retelling of the story of Alexander Hamilton. There's some creative liberty in it, but it's overall a really fantastic musical. And one of my favorite characters in the musical, if you've seen it, is King George. If you've not seen the musical, spoiler alert, if you know anything about the American Revolutionary War, King George was not a big fan. He didn't really like it. And he sings throughout the musical a few different times all about how these uh, people in America, they'll be back. And he sings about how they're going to miss him. And they're going to long to have a king as great and as lovely and as wonderful as him. And if they don't believe that they'll miss him, he'll send an entire armed battalion to remind him. He he goes so far to say that uh, when push comes to shove, I'll kill your friends and family to show you my love. Oh, real pleasant. And he sings it in this like happy, upbeat, like, of course this is what I would do. I'm the king. You should know better, right? We in America have this very warped sense of what a king is and what a king is not. And a lot of it comes from our history and that as a colony to begin with, we had a very painful separation, a very violent separation from the king that we once had over us. And so we're real proud to not have a king as Americans. We don't need no stinking king. We have democracy, and everybody knows there's no flaws to democracy. (laughs) And so, as we prepare for the Advent season, a season as a church where we look forward to the birth of Jesus, This year, our Advent preparation is going to be focusing on the King who's coming, a King who's come, a King who's for you and me. And we're going to begin with this reality, who needs a King? And then from there, over the next several weeks of Advent, we're going to look at various things Jesus promised about His kingdom, about what it means that He is a King and why it should matter for you and me as proud democratic Americans who don't need a King. To do this, we're going to begin in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God has promised to lead His people and He's been faithful. He delivers them from slavery. He brings them into a land He's promised. He says, I'll be your God forevermore. Problem solved. Nothing goes wrong after that. Except sinful people continue to sin and continue to flee from God and do their own thing. So much so that when they, over time, continue to be conquered by enemies, continue to face great hardships, they say the solution to all of our problems, we simply need a king. If we had a king like everybody else, our problems would go away. He would go out to war for us and he'd fight for us and he would defend us and he'd bring us peace and life would be lovely if we only had a king. Here's what happens. First Samuel, beginning First Samuel chapter 8, they demand a king. And Samuel the prophet, he doesn't want to give them a king because he sees that a king's going to do great hardship and bring them all kinds of pain. And he cries out to God. He's like, God, I don't think we should do this. And here's what God says in chapter 8, verse 7 of 1 Samuel. 
And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but have rejected me from being king over them. And then he continues and he gives them a warning. And he warns them of things like this. He says, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He goes on and on and on describing that this king will pervert justice. This king will take and misuse all the things before him. This king they're seeking will be one who actually causes them more pain and sorrow and suffering than if they had simply followed after the Lord like they had been instructed. Well, we'll fast forward a little bit. Chapter 9, what I'm not going to read, but just tell you what happens. They decide, we don't care about these warnings. We know what's best. We want a king. And so they appoint a king. And at the time, how do you pick who should be king? It's really simple. Who's the most handsome and the tallest? He's going to be the most successful in war. Let's pick that guy. And if we picked the most handsome and, mo- and tallest person here to, to lead, we would be in trouble, and it certainly would not be me. And, and so they appoint this king who doesn't even want it. In fact, when they go to appoint him as king, they find him hiding in the baggage trying to flee from it because he's afraid of the responsibility that comes with being king. And at first, Saul, this new king, does well, and then he turns from the Lord and begins to do the very things that were promised. This king will disappoint you and will let you down and will misuse and abuse you. He will pervert justice and what should be for peace will create division and war. This king will be bad. Fast forward a little bit to 2 Samuel. This is where if you want to open up your Bibles and follow along, if you want to use the blue Bibles in the pews in front of you or on the walls upstairs along the edge, or if you want to use your phones, your own Bible, feel free. Page 337 in the Blue Bibles, 2 Samuel chapter 7. At this point, Saul, the terrible king, has been ousted, and we have a new king, a man named David who was not the tallest, he was not the most handsome, instead he was chosen because the Lord looks at the heart and knew the kind of man he was. And if you read enough of the story, you know that even this kind of man was a broken sinner who hurt people who did terrible things, who did not honor the Lord in all things. Even this king was not perfect. But along the way, David gets a desire. He says, God, I have this magnificent palace. I have this magnificent house. I long for you to have one too. I long to have a space, a building, a place where people can come and know that you are God where they can be in this place and discover who you are and your faithfulness and your forgiveness of sins, I want to build this uh, just absolutely magnificent place for you. Sounds like a really good desire. And so his prophet Nathan, the one who's to hear from the Lord on his behalf, says, go for it, do what's in your heart. But that night while Nathan is sleeping, God comes to Nathan and says something different. Here's what it is in 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, 
but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will dis- discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with this vision, Nathan spoke to David. David has a really good desire in his heart. God, I want to honor you. I want all the nations to see the God that I worship, who he is and what he's capable of. I want a place where every time people see the building, they're reminded of your presence and of your faithfulness. And yet, God doesn't want to give David this good desire. He gives something so much greater. David's desire is to honor the Lord, but instead, the Lord speaks to David through Nathan and honors David. He says, I will build your house. I will build a house for you and your name. Your kingdom will be without end, will be forever. I will raise up a descendant after you who will sit on the throne forever. What a beautiful picture of God's goodness and His grace. Here's an imperfect leader who just like was promised eventually does some of the bad things that kings will do. And God flips the script and rather than honoring or being honored, God instead honors David. God says, look, I'm going to come and make you great. Not the other way around. 
and one of your descendants who will sit on the throne forever. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'm sure if you've been around the church at all, you've heard this idea of Jesus being the king, the one whose kingdom endures forever. But as we look forward in Advent to the coming king, as we look forward to what he has to say and do even today, I think it's really important to back up a little bit. See, God said that a king will hurt you and pervert justice will take what is yours for his own gain. A king will turn things that are good and make them bad. Then he speaks to David and says, but I'm going to raise up a king who will be forever. And this king does not pervert justice and does not take what is not his, does not hurt instead of heal. This king is in every way the opposite. In fact, so much so, that we do see one similarity with the kings of the old and Jesus. Just as Saul was trying to avoid being king, in John chapter 6, there's a story where Jesus also tries to avoid being king. Jesus, he feeds 5,000 people with this great miracle. He takes out of almost nothing and he provides for them so that every one of them has more than enough. Whereas most kings will take out of your tiny little bit so they have more and you have less. Jesus took out of a little bit so that everyone else could have more and no one had less. And afterwards, there's this one little verse that says this, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Here in the start of his ministry, Jesus had every reason to be anointed as king. In fact, he's doing all kinds of profound things, providing for the needs of the people, healing the sick, speaking truth that challenges the religious leaders who were at times oppressive and wrong. And Jesus is doing all the things you'd want in a king. But perceiving they were about to take him by force to make him king, he withdrew where Saul ran and hid because he was afraid of the responsibility. Jesus withdrew because he knew it was not yet his time to be king. And the reason it wasn't yet his time to be king. Where kings of men gain power through force, where kings of men use our brains and our strength and our money and all the things we have to lord it over other people. The king who is to come does the exact opposite. Jesus was given his kingdom when he laid everything down, when he gave up everything, when he suffered and died. His kingdom comes not because he's the most handsome and the tallest and the strongest. His kingdom comes because he gives everything for those who are his servants, for those who are in his kingdom. He does not come with an army to kill our friends and family to prove his love. He comes instead to suffer and to die to show just how far he'd go because of his love. For you and me, as we look for this king to come in Advent, as we prepare to anticipate the birth of Jesus, we see that he did not come in might and power, 
meek and mild, humble and lowly, so that where all justice has been perverted by kings of men, He could then restore what was made wrong, where people are broken and in need of healing, He could pour it out freely. Where you and I were disconnected and separated from God, He could join us back with God. And we could be made right forevermore. And for you and me, there's a great hope when the world kicks us, when life has us down, when the kings over us, whomever they be, your boss, your neighbor, the leaders of the city or nation, I don't care who those kings of men are. When life is not what we think it should be, we have a king who has promised to heal and restore everything. We have a king who has laid down his very life for you and for me. Who comes not to take what is ours that he may have more, but to give everything that is his, that we can have everything that is his. It goes on elsewhere in Scripture to describe the riches of his glorious inheritance. The thing he gains from laying his life down is the saints. You and me and those who would believe. We are His treasure worth giving everything up for. We are His hope. And so we in turn have a hope that this King is truly for us and not against us. That this King will remain with us even in the darkest and bleakest of moments. That this King will always do what is good and right not what is popular and urgent. We have hope in this Advent season to come that whatever we're facing tomorrow, there is a King who will come. And He will come again in glory. He will come again not meek and mild as a baby. He will come again riding on the clouds better than any chariot any king of man could ever ride on. He will come again to restore everything that belongs to Him. To restore everything that He died for. To restore you and to restore me. And every broken relationship and every strained friendship and every burden you walk through and every sickness you're facing and even death itself will no longer be in His kingdom. He'll make it all right. And so this Advent season we pause and we reflect on that King. Because who needs a King? Quite frankly, every one of us. Will you pray with me? God, you are really good. And kings of men will disappoint, will abuse and neglect and steal and rob and destroy. God, you are not like those kings. You come in humility and meekness as a baby, an infant, in a manger. You come with nothing having given up everything for those who are being redeemed in You. God, I ask this Advent season You teach us to long for a King. 
to no longer place our hope in the things of man and the people who lead us. God, I ask that you would teach us to place our hope in a truly good king, one whose throne will be established forever. God, I ask that you teach us to be people who hope for the things to come, who look at all of our hardship and our strain and our burdens and our pain and everything here and now and see that you are bringing everything in creation into your kingdom. God, we pray now as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Chrissy mentioned a season of change. In case you missed it last week, we made a big announcement. We are beginning the process of looking for a permanent home, a place where we as a church can gather long-term and continue to connect and build friendships and serve the Lord and connect with our city in a powerful way. And unfortunately, that may not be in this building. If you missed last week and you want to hear more about that, you can go online to thepointknocks.com. You can get last week's message and hear more about why that is and the increase in rent in this space. But before you do, I want to share part of our aim in seeking a permanent home is to continue to build community, not just with one another here in this space, but community that moves into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into the places we go out and have fun just to love our neighbors as Christ loves us. And so this year as a year-end goal, to help us prepare for that journey and that adventure, we have two goals that we're seeking to accomplish between now and December 31st. The first goal is we are prayerfully asking God that together every one of us can participate in helping raise $50,000 above and beyond our normal offering between now and the end of the year. Half of this money will be used to help us cover the additional increase in rent that we unexpectedly are facing here for this building. And half of that money will be used to begin the process of seeking out a long-term home that we can all stay in and enjoy and continue to connect with the Lord in. So that leads me to the second goal. I mentioned that this is all of us together. We believe that that $50,000 is a really big ask if it's on any one person's shoulders. But we believe that together, every person who calls the point their home can contribute something. And if every one of us who calls this place your home participates and says, God, what can I do to help in this endeavor? We think what's to come in the future will actually be more exciting and better than what we've had here uh, so far. So our second goal is that in addition to the $50,000 we're prayerfully seeking to raise, we're hoping that every person who calls this place home would participate in some way, making it 100% participation in doing something to help us find that long-term place where we can continue to gather and worship. 
Now, every week when we collect an offering, I tell you, if you're somebody who prefers to give with cash or check, you can do so in the black boxes in the back as you exit. If you filled out one of those teal cards that says connect at the top with a way we can pray with you or a way we can connect with you, you can place that in the box as well. And if you would like to make a gift, either your regular gift or a special year-end Cultivate Community gift, and you'd like to do so online, you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love because we already have it. Thank you. I was asked earlier this morning by somebody, are we still doing uh, the ugly Christmas sweater uh, Sunday, next Sunday? And I was like, of course we are. I said, I don't think I've heard it announced. It's announced. So if you didn't hear it being announced, wear your ugliest Christmas sweater next Sunday, okay? It's going to be super fun. We're going to even take and make some really ugly decorations and have a great spot for you to take some ugly photos with your family. They'll look ugly. You'll look great. I'm sure of it, okay? It's going to be awesome. Uh, So every week we invite questions. Adam, what questions came in this week? Two questions, one comment. I'll start with a comment, a point of correction, I guess. It says, we do not have a democracy. We have a representative republic. They are two very different philosophies. That's absolutely true. And in case you don't know this, my undergraduate degree was in international studies. I, for the longest time, wanted to be the president. And I kept saying I was going to be the president in 2024 because that's when I'd be old enough to be the president. And in the last election, my wife said, Adam, stop saying that. That's not happening. So... (laughs) Um, If you ever want to nerd out and talk politics with me, I enjoy it. And you're right, we have a representative republic, which basically means in a true democracy, the way things would be decided is every one of us gets a vote on every decision. But a representative democracy means, a republic means that instead, we choose representatives who make decisions on our behalf, which is slightly different and uh, a little more practical, but they both have their pros and cons. I have a political science degree. I was like, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Good to know. All right, two questions. Um, First question says, why do some people act like completely different people when they consume alcohol, when they drink alcohol? Uh, There's a lot behind that question. To start, I think one of the things alcohol does is it actually um, lowers our inhibition and our filter to recognize what we should or should not do or should or should not say. So oftentimes I like to say that uh, drunk words are sober truth. What you say when you're drunk is what you're probably thinking when you're sober. And so if you say really mean or hurtful things when you're drunk, uh, first off, you should probably stop getting drunk. And second off, um, maybe you need to work on whatever's going on in the heart that leads to those hurtful or mean things. Uh, Alcohol has a way to lower not only our inhibitions and our ability to think through things, but it causes us to just not act normal because we lose a lot of the sense of control over who we are. Now, hear me out. We don't think in this place that alcohol is evil. We think that in moderation, it can be a great gift and a great joy from the Lord. Um, But again, that's in moderation. And what does moderation look like? Well, that's different for every individual based on your, your family of origin, based on your own tolerance, based on a lot of things. So we will never encourage drunkenness, even when at times we do encourage, hey, let's have a drink from time to time. If you struggle with becoming a person when you're drunk that you don't like, uh, Come talk to me, and we can work through that. Final question. It says, is there an unspoken rule that Lutheran church services should not go past an hour? <laughs> I love it. No, it's definitely spoken. A lot of people say don't ever go past an hour, but if you're here last week, it definitely went past an hour. That was one of the longest Sundays, I think, I, sermons I've preached in a long time. Sorry about that, guys. We've got to beat the Baptist to lunch. That's, that's the big goal. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
Uh, don't beat them at lunch. No, to beat, lunch. Them, beat them to lunch. Different thing. Yes. Yes. Um, so, anything else, Adam? We better stop. That's all the questions. Yes. Yeah. We're going to dig a hole real quick. All right. Well, before you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.